Hey everybody, welcome to the Shikarina-ish podcast episode 7. Woo! I'm your host, Sam Hall, and I've got four lovely co-hosts with me today. I'm so excited to hear what they've got to say. And today's episode is going to be a little bit different. We don't really have a specific topic that we're really going to be focusing on. It's more of a conversation that we're going to be having to sort of like catch up with each other and just discuss things that are going around or going on around us every day. So usually in my podcast, we have a diaspora spotlight, which is going to be one person. But today I just wanted to shout out to everyone who is going out and protesting for Black Lives Matter, anybody who's spoken up for Black Lives or taken action, gone out to the protest. Um, shout out to you guys. We've got to keep pushing and keep uh, fighting for our rights. And especially like the Habesha people who are taking initiative. I know um, it's, it might be kind of hard sometimes because of our parents, but that is a conversation that we're going to get into later. But shout out to everybody uh, participating. So yeah. First, we're going to start with our icebreaker. Everyone is going to say their name and where they're from. So I'll go. My name is Samhal and I'm from Ethiopia, but I'm from Decatur, Georgia. My name is Hulu. I'm also from Ethiopia, but born and raised in Gwinnett, Georgia, Gwinnett County, Lilburn. Klaus. <laughs> the north side. <laughs> My name is Shoei. I'm from Eritrea, but I live in Tucker. My name is Salam. I'm from Eritrea, and I also live in Tucker. <laughs> My name is Donite. I'm from Ethiopia. Um, I'm from Atlanta and I'm from West Virginia. Okay, Miss West Virginia. <laughs> so I wanted to, well, I think I know how everybody pronounces y'all's names, but <laughs> how do most people, well, actually, let me go ahead and I think, so how do most people pronounce y'all's names? So like, the way that I hear, especially at UGA, for some odd reason, Shoei and Salam, the way that they pronounce y'all's name is, is always like Shoei, Shoei. Shoei. And then it'll be like, the worst one. Salam, went. Salam. Like, I get Salam, Selma, Salem. You don't even try, bro. Like, just, that's why I just, it's so. You can't get it wrong. Cell phone. Everybody can say cell phone. I try to break it down for them. First of all, Salam, I do not want to hear that coming from you. (laughs) You have five letters in your first name. I have 11 letters in my first name. (laughs) (laughs) I can't. So everyone, so how do people say y'all's names? I've, it's always been Salam, like Salam Alaikum. (laughs) So I'm like, bro, there's the E. E in the front. (laughs) Readed. <laughs> well, I say Hulu. I almost always introduce myself as Hulu because I do have 11 letters in my first name. My first mm-hmm. full name is Hulu Agarish. And the people who do know my first name, they'll probably say Hulu Agarish. Um, <laughs> Agarish. Hulu Agarish. <laughs> Isn't that so ugly? <laughs> that so sounds the like name someone would someone Agarish. <laughs> A garish. <laughs> Sound like a disease. Who a garish? But um, so yeah, I just I say Hulu like the subscription service. Hulu, I know what. So for those of y'all who don't know, me and Hulu were roommates and we're very close friends. But I know one time you were like, somehow, why do you say my name like that? <laughs> and I don't know oh, how God. I say it. I, I remember like, that day because I was like, she really says my name differently than everybody else. And I was like, but I like it. <laughs> it's like, it's like, I don't even know how I say it, how you say it. I feel like she emphasizes the you. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. Hulu. 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 Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, Hulu. So my name is really not even that hard. It looks exactly how it's spelled. Dante. 
night, but I, <laughs> I mean, I've gotten every name except for Donna. I get Dante, Deontay, Danity, Denise. <laughs> I except for Donite is what I get. And even <laughs> even now at this point, I mean my Instagram, Twitter, all that is duh underscore night. That's not even the right um pronunciation, but at this point I just let people call me Denite. And I mean in West Virginia I'm I'm Denite. So Denite, Denite, Denite. <laughs> <laughs> Your friends are so funny. <laughs> Come <on>. Okay. <laughs> Shelly. Um, I get she sweat. She wet. She sweat. Bro, they mad disrespectful oh. out here. <laughs> People usually spell it S H E W I T, and my parents thought they were spelling it phonetically by spelling it W E A T, and mm. like, it just didn't work. <laughs> like, it just I mean, when when work. you look at it. It makes sense. Yeah. I just like wheat. Like wheat. Exactly. Like, I was not that like hard. Like wheat bread. Like show, like TV show, show wheat. And they still can't get it. Wow. <laughs> it doesn't get any easier than that. I don't know. For some reason, I feel like a lot of non-Habisha people pronounce our names with the emphasis on the second syllable. <laughs> Sweet. Or salam. or salam, and then for for me, they'll be like small, uh, and I'm like, first of all, there's an H in my name, Semhal, and I don't know. It's funny because one time this lady, like, I went to this uh, site visit for my job, and it was this lady, and she was just like um, introducing me to, I guess, her boss, and I knew she didn't. She was this country lady. I knew she didn't know how to say my name. I knew it for a fact because we just met and. She's so she's about to introduce me and she's looking at me and I'm just looking at her. It's like and we're just staring at each other like uh, <laughs> like Diddy and OBJ in that gym. We're just looking at each other. I'm like, I know she's about to say it wrong. And she was like, this is sumo. Oh, God. <laughs> what? And I looked yeah. at her. I was like, you did not even try sumo. And so I looked at her. I was like, no, it's like it's really easy. It's like semicircle and hallway put together. And the, then she's like, oh, I apologize. The way that y'all try and describe your names, like the pronunciation <laughs> is hilarious. <laughs> she said like TV show, show. Cell phone. And then you <laughs> <laughs> just say out here. <laughs> but our names are beautiful, so shout out to us anyways. I love I love these little like these little translations. My brother's name is Solon, so but he'll tell like you know the American way is Salone. So the way he'll explain it is he'll be like Sylvester Stallone, but without the T's. <laughs> <laughs> like, this can't. is the whole struggle. <laughs> it is. It is. So that was a good little uh, icebreaker. So let's get into our main conversation. I just wanted to note that this episode is not going to give like details about every story, every current event, especially because things are happening as we speak, like, and it's just too much. And I'm sure everyone's well aware of what's going on, but it's more of a chance to kind of like talk it out and discuss our thoughts and opinions. So the first one that we're going to talk about is, um, well, just in general, like, how are you guys, are y'all taking breaks from social media? Do you think social media is being helpful in bringing awareness to everything that's going on? What do y'all think? I feel like I'm on social media more now than I was, um, not in general, but just especially in the recent months. I feel like that's where I'm getting a lot of news. Um, other than, I mean, I, I, I like to watch the news, so I watch the news also, but getting like a lot of more detailed information stuff that you're not seeing on regular mainstream news outlets. Like I feel like I'm on social media a lot more because of that, but I don't know if you guys agree or disagree. Yeah. I agree. I agree to a certain extent because as far as your different news outlets, I think you do get more 
from Twitter and Instagram as far as like details and like little insider things, things that the news won't really cover, like the actual news outlets, the networks, CNN, all of those. Um, But also from a different perspective, I feel like I'm on it less just because it's been so overwhelming Mm-hmm. And it's it. I feel like it's really taken a toll on myself. Just getting like waking up every day and like just seeing these things. Like it really, it it's heavy. That's all I can say. Really, I feel like it is draining, but mm-hmm. I also feel an obligation to repost or to even bring up the conversation. Mm-hmm. Just because I know I do have a lot of white friends. That if I wasn't the one posting, I don't know who else would. And I don't know how they would receive that information. That's very true. Right, so right. it's like, I want to, I hate to be that like social justice warrior, like that one go-to person for a lot of people. But then I just know that I am. So it's almost as if I do have the obligation, but at the same time, like that obligation makes me really tired because I don't want to have to explain why things are right and wrong every day. To mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, it definitely gets draining, like seeing you know, I can't go more than 10 posts without seeing a black person dying unjustly or hearing about some sick, twisted story about something being manipulated or, you know, somebody not getting the justice they deserve. Like, it really is draining. But at the same time, I feel like um, I appreciate it in a way because you you realize how uh, media is like in a funnel and like really filtered and only what, you know, you know, like, I think most of the news channels are run by one guy, you know, so it's really like a matter of what he wants to hear type thing. It's not a matter of truly reporting what's going on. Like these protests are still going on every day, but they stop reporting it just because, you know, the riots haven't been happening. Like police haven't been trying protesters and things. Because it's not violent now. So they feel like, oh, it's not interesting. I mean, at the end of the day, they're just trying to get views. Exactly. Right. I think that's not only coming from someone who studied journalism, like one of the main things that that they focus on is trying to get the biggest audience or trying to get the most people watching. So, I mean, who wants to who wants to see a peaceful protest on the news? Nobody. Everyone wants to see the the riots, the fighting, all the violence. They want to see stuff that's going to be quote-unquote interesting to them you know so I think that has a lot to do with it but I will say one thing about um the social media aspect so obviously there's been so many different um police brutality cases and things like that in recent years but I will tell you I have never had I don't think I've had any of my friends post about it before and I and I grew up in West Virginia that's predominantly white and majority of my friends growing up were white. I didn't have any of my friends post about it until this year. Mm-hmm. And I think that, I mean, I know that this time, I guess, is a little bit different, but it shouldn't be different. Like all of these, all of these cases should be the same. We should be mad about all of these cases, not just this year, you know, So all the time. Do you think they're starting to sort of wake up or do you think it's kind of becoming a trend Posting it and stuff. I think it's both. Honestly, I think um, some of my friends are starting to wake up. I mean, I've never really like. Obviously, my close friends they've never done any type of like anything that would make me think that they were racist. Think that they could have race tendencies or said or made jokes that are racist, anything like that. Otherwise, they wouldn't be my friends. But at the same time, Mm -hmm. I think. I think that it's since it's so heavily on social media right now, I feel like some of them and I'm not talking about my close, close friends because I I feel like I know their hearts. But I feel like some people are definitely posting it just because they feel like, oh, we were like, why are you guys silent? You guys shouldn't be silent. And I don't I don't Mm -hmm. think we ever did that before. Right. So I don't I don't know if it's really a trend or um, I had spoke to someone before that also said. Um, the reason why there's so many white people involved now is because they're so into our culture now. Mm-hmm. You know, so now they feel obligated. Oh, because I listen to hip hop or because I get my hair braided or whatever other cultural appropriation that they're doing, they feel obligated. Oh, since I'm taking their culture, let me just 
post this little post and pretend like I care or whatever. I can say on that tip, I actually had friends who added every non-Black person that they've ever interacted with, whether they were still close or not, on Instagram, like, in his comments. And I had a lot of friends from, like, middle and high school who, like, started posting stuff because of that. Because he literally added each and every one of them. Like, yeah. some of who were my friends in the past, they were like, he was like, basically, I've never, I haven't seen any of you post. And if I've ever felt some degree of closeness to you, I feel like you should want to support me in this. And that's the first time I've ever seen anything like that. And I think for me, I mean, I prefer like an individual approach. Like I wouldn't just post on social media and like at everybody personally, but I think like, I mean, that is definitely effective because it made him reflect and it made him or like whoever responded, like one guy in particular that I know, obviously like it did have some sort of impact and it did probably catalyze conversations within his social circles now. And so I think, because of that, like, a lot of people are having more conversations because now, of course, like, they are more tapped in. Definitely. I also feel like um, both of those are also super valid points, but another thing that also makes me feel like I do feel like change is happening or, like, perspectives are definitely shifting because I feel like it's so blatant now. Like, Mm -hmm. you can't deny it, you know what I mean? Like, before I, I feel like also in terms of social media like that's helping everybody has social media and when you see these like w- these recordings these ig lives or whatever reposted and seeing these injustices happen like you can try to make excuses all you want but you know exactly what you're seeing and just like with the black lives matter pr- protests happening and like two weeks before everybody protesting with assault rifles in, you know, these military people faces talking about some they don't want to wear masks and things. And two weeks later, peaceful protests, we receive like three times the amount of, you know, pushback and fire and getting rubber bullets, tear gas. Like, isn't tear gas a war crime? And we sit in here having tear gas thrown at us on the streets we've been driving through our whole lives. You know what I mean? Like, I just feel like you can't deny it anymore. Like, and also Trump and these conservatives, I feel like they're getting comfortable, you know, like the rather than being indirect or the subliminal ways of showing racism, I feel like they're comfortable enough to where they just straight up saying it. And um, he gave ability. Right. Right. He definitely did. Like, and, and aside from them getting comfortable, I do feel like our generation might be the ones to slowly shift things because we're separating our beliefs from that of our parents, you know, like Mm -hmm. we're choosing to get informed. We're choosing to change our beliefs. Like, you know, we're creating our own thoughts rather than just continuing to regurgitate the thoughts that were fed to us our whole lives which I feel like that's the only way that we'll reach change by educating ourselves and trying to question where do these inherent biases come from? You know what I mean? I agree. I think social media is really powerful in bringing us this raw awareness of certain things that you may not see on the news or something that may not be covered elsewhere. And it kind of like, it, it adds up and it helps you, you know, realize that this is happening and this is just like very real and like there's so many things that you might not be aware of unless you see it on social media. Definitely. Y'all heard about the police in Milwaukee, how, how like these two girls were, these two black girls were reported missing, but like they wouldn't issue an Amber alert. So the community started investigating themselves and they found um, a house that the girls were being stored. And basically it was like, a sex trafficking ring and there were police cars there and like basically they were aiding the trafficking ring rather than helping these girls get found like there's literally a video of them trying to hide them and like running into the car so it's like proof that are these police forces really designed to protect our communities or like what's really happening here it's scary that's just crazy it's very scary so our next question is a little bit different topic. We're going to talk about coronavirus. And are you guys still quarantining? Are y'all working? Have y'all gone to any restaurants or lounges recently? I was going to say, um, I've actually been doing a pretty poor job of quarantining in general from the start. Like, I stayed at my parents' house for the first month. Then I came back to Athens to stay. So, like, I've definitely been hanging out with people. But, like, I kind of have 
stuck to the same people that I've been hanging out with. Like I try not to get out of that circle. So like I haven't like if I order food out, I'll go and eat it in a park or like I'll eat it at my house versus just like trying to eat in the restaurant. Like definitely mm-hmm. haven't been out to any clubs or lounges just because I just feel like that's really irresponsible. But I mean, at the same time, it's like that's your life. Like however you choose. I just know like a lot of people like. Like, for instance, if I were to, like, when I move back home with my parents, like, I definitely am going to have to be more cautious of, like, who I hang out with and um, just, like, figuring out how to navigate the world until I move. Yeah, so just, like, figuring out um, how to navigate, like, how until I move, like, how I can go out in Atlanta when I do move back home um, for the time that I'm there. But, um, yeah, still haven't been quarantining properly, I guess. Yeah, exactly what Shoeit said. I have been sticking to that same circle of friends, same group of friends. As far as ordering food from restaurants, I have been to some restaurants to pick up food. But as far as like dining in, I have not definitely have not gone out to any clubs. I refuse. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, I, I don't think I have been quarantining all the way as far as like oh six feet from everyone oh wear masks in front of everyone um because when I'm with when I'm at home I I'm not wearing any sort of masks even if I'm with like people who are outside of sorry that doesn't even make sense (laughs) (laughs) No, no no I know what you mean so for me I've Y'all know I've been quarantining. Like <laughs> before quarantine was a thing. Before exactly, but <laughs> I've been quarantining since January. Literally. But uh one of the first well, one of the only places really that I've been is I went finally went to Hulu's new apartment. And that was a experience for me. We went walking and stuff. Um but other than that, I've been at my house, I've been at my friend's house. I haven't really gone anywhere. I've probably been to a grocery store three times, max. Wow. Which is kind of crazy. Wow. How many months? Since March. Oh, my God. Yeah. And, I mean, I guess perks of living at home with your parents. But, <laughs> um, like, I think also my parents are really strict on it, too. So that's probably what's affecting me. Mm-hmm. Like they're not telling me to go get groceries for them or whatever. They're telling me to stay home. And I'm not like, I don't know. I am I feel like I'm uh, taking it a little bit seriously in comparison to what I see on Instagram. Because sometimes I'll just be scrolling and I'll be like, wow, like people are really, they really been in the clubs nonstop. And I'm like, okay, do they have Corona or? Oh my God. Like the <laughs> like, first weekend Atlanta opened back up, it seemed like the clubs were like back normal again. Like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Monday weekend, half off bottle. <laughs> right. <laughs> like three bottles for 500. Like they're doing all this stuff to, you know, get people to come in. Right. And it's working. Or it, yeah. it's not even that it's working. I think people weren't even they didn't even care at the first place so yeah I honestly before Atlanta really opened back up I thought the clubs were going to be taking more preventative measures like maybe have like each section a little bit far far away from each other but I mean at least a little bit but they just said nah we going all the way to capacity like they do not care and like I'm not expecting people to wear masks right in the club but like at least you know, sit a little bit, <laughs> sit away from me a little bit. Some of them are doing like half capacity, but are they really following that? I don't I, think so. No one is following any of the COVID measures that they're supposed to be following. There's no way that these places are at half capacity and they're packed like that. Right. I mean, it looks like how it used to be, unless the, the full capacity is just, I mean, no room at all to move. <laughs> That's the only explanation. But I just, I don't know. I feel like, which my my quarantine was a little bit different from other people's. But if I was back in Atlanta right now and I was working, mm-hmm. I would 100% be wearing a mask. Mm-hmm. Because oh, yeah. 
at the end of the day, I do understand like people have to go back to work. Yes, I get that. But there has to be the safety measures put in place. And I don't think I don't think my um, job is requiring people to wear masks. Are they open for dine-in? Yeah, they they opened um, either this this past week or last week. I can't remember, but they're. I mean, even my friends that work, my coworkers, like they were like, "I hope we don't have to wear masks." And I was thinking to myself, <laughs> "Why would you hope for that?" Like. To me, I'm like, you have to wear a mask. Why? Why is it? I don't understand what the big deal about wearing a mask is. I mean, it's uncomfortable. Right. But to me, it's I would rather wear a mask for the rest of my life than contract a virus that could potentially kill me. Exactly. I heard UGA is not making a requirement for students to wear a mask come August or whenever y'all are starting again. UGA is really reaching for football like they just want football to happen like what what is our what does it mean for our semester to start two weeks later than it normally does and then we it's the rest of it is online after Thanksgiving break like what is that really even for oh that's what they said yeah like that's the way our schedule is gonna go wait so you know how we usually start like early teens, like August 10, whatever. We're going to yeah. start like the 22nd or something. And then after Thanksgiving break, the rest of the semester is online. What is the point of that? I think <laughs> that the coronavirus is going to come back in the, in the winter and that's why it's going to be online. I, I really can't even tell you. Like, I feel like it's because football season ends at that yeah. point and they have nothing else to like inspire them to try to get all these kids back to campus. Well, they just want everybody's coins. I guess everyone can do whatever they want. But at the end of the day, I never realized how serious this stuff was until I was in a completely different situation during this time. You I don't know if people really understand what the, the rise of these cases is doing, because during the time that there was quarantine, everything was closed, including hospitals. Mm -hmm. So imagine having your close family member, your close friend in the hospital for something that's not even coronavirus related and you not even being able to see them, you know, like, yeah, yeah. Like you can't even have you, you have to pick between your mom or your husband or boyfriend or baby dad, whoever to be in the room with you, you know, like you're supposed to it's so hard to get through those types of um, those types of things in your life without support, you know? So I think, I don't, I don't know if people really understand. And I mean, I've had even some of my friends like going out into to clubs and lounges and sometimes I'm just like, I don't know if I should say something directly to them just like, so they can put themselves in someone else's shoes. But I mean, I mean, the essential things is different, but, to go to the club, like you can't wait a couple months. Like it's gonna be there mm-hmm. if we can ever if we can ever go get over it. It's gonna be there still in a couple months. Like the club is not that serious, you know. Yeah, I have a friend of mine in New York that he and he thought like he was safe because he had a section and like he only had maybe like six or seven other friends with them. And you know, like they tried to do that little fake half capacity you know, making the sections just a little bit further. And he and he got corona and he basically put on his story like, yeah, everybody that went out with, with me that night, you should probably get tested. Like, casually, you know, like, he's like, yeah, we, we knew better, but oh, well, like, what? You know, Is he okay? Someone gets sick. He's just been ordering a lot of Panera, according to his story. <laughs> That's not all I can tell y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I hope he gets better, and I hope, honestly, like, I really hope, I don't want anybody to learn the hard way. Like, I really hope everyone is being safe, or, like, I hope everyone stays safe, you know, even if they're not taking these preventative measures, hopefully. The way Georgia's opening back up, they said the epicenter is going to move from New York to the South. Definitely. I, I believe that. I mean, what, Florida had, like, 9,000 cases in one day. Wow. And that's just people getting tested. I think that's the craziest part to me. That's yeah, that's not even everyone. That's people that are just getting tested and also when tests are getting um 
when there, there are so many tests being done in one day, it, it's like a lag. So like, it might be 9,000 that they've reported and that's not counting maybe the other thousand that they still haven't gotten the results from, you know? Right. So it's really, whenever they say any of those numbers, it's really more. It's just really surprising at this point when we're like four or five months into a pandemic that we don't have some type of solid system and means of testing people because the only way to like contain a virus that's contagious to this magnitude is like, first of all, you have to know everyone that has it and it's it's like constant testing and it's about containment. Like these Mm -hmm. people need to be sitting at home and, you know, people are going out and not even getting tested, you know, so they could be sitting here carrying it. And every time they go to a grocery store, every time they, you know, it's so easy to spread it. And it's just crazy. Like until there's a vaccine, I don't see how this will get better. Not with the ship our country has. Exactly. Not at all. I mean, people are obviously more worried about the economy than the well-being of humans. So that's a big problem right there. It's really yeah. sad. It makes we it are, makes you wonder, like, what's the purpose of the economy? Like, to serve yeah. us or we deserve it? Yeah. Know? Right. There's just so many different things going on in our country it's just really mind-blowing to me, honestly. Never thought that we would be living through these types of times. Yeah, I still can't believe this is our reality. <laughs> yeah, but for everyone um, Wait, listening... Wait, does anybody remember what that, what that... I think it was an Instagram post, but it was like 2020 may not be like the worst year, but it may be the best year. Somebody finish it for me. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I what forgot is that? how it went. Was it like the first half of 2020? Like, kind of like it, a major setback? I mean, a minor setback or a major comeback? I think I may have said... Let me see. It was basically like, what if all this was happening to open our eyes, basically? Yeah. I don't remember exactly what it said. It was something like that. But my thing is, like, to open our eyes. I know, like, the racism stuff, but, like, this pandemic, though, I don't know what the point is, you know, for that. So I don't actually, I don't, I don't really read the Bible. Like, I'll read Bible verses, but my mom told me that this is in the Bible. Yeah. Your mom knows the Bible back and mom forth. literally reads the Bible, <laughs> like, <laughs> multiple times a day. Yeah. Day, so she knows. Yeah, well... I mean, hopefully, hopefully things get better. And, you know, if if it might not be affecting you, but it's affecting a lot of other people. So Mm -hmm. please be responsible with uh, what you're doing, guys. And yeah, so I was going to say something, but I forgot, but it'll come back to me. So our next topic, we're going to go back to talking about the Black Lives Matter movement and about protests more specifically. So what do you guys think are the pros and cons of protesting? And do y'all think, you know, it really makes a difference? I think it definitely makes a difference. I think that's why we've been um, seeing some, some improvements, I guess some bills being passed and things like that throughout the um, nation. I think that would be a pro of protests. I think people are starting to listen a little bit better because of it. Because I don't think I can necessarily think of, of cons other than when the protesting gets violent. Mm-hmm. And the um, looting. The looting, which I'm I'm not saying that there shouldn't be those things. I'm just saying I wouldn't advocate for it. Right, right. Um, the I, violence that was coming with it. Exactly. The violence is scary because at the end of the day, it's going to affect us, um, affect black people a lot whenever things like that are happening. But at the same time, what do you do when you're hopeless? You know, to say that there are some anarchists out there, like just people who like to just destroy and just kind of want to like take over the government. They just want to see destruction. And like when I said, protests in the middle of Athens, um, a lot of the Athens protests are majority white. 
just because like that's the population that's here that's protesting like young students um like people who are like more left-wing um and i remember seeing this one guy starting to spray paint a um it's one of the confederate memorials in the middle dt and he was just like oh my gosh this is so exhilarating like when he walked away and like all the black people around were trying to get him on facebook live trying to record him just to be like hey anybody comes up to us saying it was the black people like no it was like this guy who clearly had like some sort of rush from like destroying this monument when really like there could have been other things like for instance like now they're planning on moving it um but like you didn't have to start spray painting it in the middle of the protest mm-hmm. and then people were tear gassed later on that night because of that because the police got so irritated yeah and there's even that one post that kind of went viral of these two girls texting each other like hey i'm bored uh let's get drunk and go to the protest like just for fun and like they went and they took pictures with their black lives matter signs and it was like this is not for fun you know this is like a real thing that's sad actually very sad yeah like protesting for clout honestly you all know like how the civil rights movement it lasted years and decades and we've we've been protesting speaking up social media has been going strong um for about maybe a month now yeah it's been like 30 days yeah so it's only been 30 days and it i feel like I guess not none of our immediate relatives or actually any family members lived through the civil rights movement here, but um, (laughs) our friends have and their grandparents. And it's like, Dave did it. Dave went through it for years. And I just don't know how exactly they lived through that for so long. I feel like 30 days and it's like 2020 has been the longest year ever. My dad has told me about like the the things that he encountered whenever he because he went to school in the U.S. He went to Michigan State. Um, oh, wow. So he would tell me. I didn't me, know that, didn't I? Yeah, he he told me about um, the different things that would happen to him mm-hmm. when he was in college. I mean, there's times he told me they would literally come up to him, be like calling him the N-word, you know, telling mm-hmm. him he can't, he can't go somewhere. Even if the places were allowing um, black people to come in, like they would be standing out there, like you can't come in here, you know. Okay, that's they, crazy. It's, it's, yeah, that the, he experienced that. And it's really sa- wait. Go ahead. Sorry, I was just saying that he he definitely experienced it to a certain extent, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's sad because um, I actually i i learned this through social media. I saw it on Twitter, and then I started doing my research on it about. Uh, there was this guy, Mulgeta Sira. I, I hope I'm pronouncing his last name right. And in 1988, he he's Habesha, and he came here in 1980, I believe, to go to school. And in 1988, he was targeted and killed by just these racist white supremacy people. Wow. Oh, my and God. It, it, this happened in Portland, Oregon, and it's posted on my Shukurina-ish Instagram and you guys can really look up about it. It was covered by the news. And there is there is like interviews of his uncle. You know, his uncle was just like, you know, he came here for a better life. I don't even know what to tell his parents back home. Like his uh his mom, I think his dad came for the court case and like basically the killers went to jail, but they didn't get full time. Like they got released early and I think after that, somebody, this, uh, I think he was a lawyer or a white activist, not like a white supremacist, but like he was an activist guy. And he picked up the story and was like, yo, we have to sue this guy who sort of ordered this killing or the guy who's in charge of the white supremacist group. And they went through a whole court case and a lawsuit, I believe, and they sued him. And they took like his house and all his money and stuff. And so it's like, it's good that that guy was there to advocate for him. But I wish everybody could, you know, there's never really going to be full justice. But I think it's just like, I don't know. It's just that story really just 
was really crazy when I learned about it. And then I asked my dad about it and he was like, oh yeah, like, you know, it was a really, really scary time for us. Everyone was scared. All the Habesha guys, they were, the Habesha families, they were scared because you send your kid or you go, your kid goes to Ethiopia, I mean, to the United States to learn and to better their life. And then they get killed because they're black. Right. And they're, they're fleeing, you know, oppression and war already in Ethiopia or Eritrea. And then they come here and then they, you know, get killed. It's just crazy. Right. I think that's why it's so it, it makes it even more crazy, crazy to me when some of our parents don't really understand. And I'm like, you literally were a refugee of war. Like, at least with my parents, mm-hmm. like, they couldn't leave, like, Eritrea without literally like either fighting through like my dad had to like literally go through the army so that means he had to like enlist and then like kind of like run away or like literally sneaking in through the night like in the middle of the desert and it's like Mm -hmm. if you understand like strife and you understand what it's like to be treated poorly along the way like I don't understand why the Black Lives Matter movement is lost on you you know Mm -hmm. like why is it all of a sudden like oh well we're here now so we don't have to worry about this anymore I don't know if it's that they actually don't like think that it's effective or anything like that i think they're just like i swear havisha parents are the most scared human beings <laughs> in the world like <laughs> i feel like they're really just scared of anything happening to us you know like i really think that's what it comes down to it's not even i mean personally from my parents that's what i feel like i know that there are some havisha parents that really feel like they're not even part of they're not they don't even consider themselves black i know that there are some Ethiopian um, and Eritrean families that are like that but for my parents specifically I feel like they're so scared of something happening to me that they would rather like keep me in the house for the rest of my life than let me like (laughs) protest even if it's a peaceful protest whatever like a lot of the things that I do I just kind of do them myself you know (laughs) it's not me I don't at at this point I don't even ask them because I know they're gonna be so scared so I'll just save that save them that worry Right. Yeah, I agree. Because I definitely did not tell my parents I went protesting. <laughs> There's certain things you just can't tell them. They would lose right. their mind. And we're actually going to get into that in a little bit after we close out with this Black Lives Matter topic. I wanted to ask what you guys think about the big companies making statements, especially with Starbucks, what happened with them. For those of you guys who don't know, I think they said their employees aren't allowed to wear anything related to Black Lives Matter. And then all of a sudden they received all this backlash and then they changed their statement and they made like a big deal on social media. And they even even came out with Black Lives Matter shirts for their employees after the fact. I'm sick. (laughs) I'm sick over the Starbucks thing because I love Starbucks, but (laughs) honestly, like how are you going to, they wear I've I've been to a Starbucks where they are wearing flags like or um, LGBTQ plus flags and everything else, and now we can't wear Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. That don't sit right with me. Ridiculous. I haven't had Starbucks since. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think these big companies they're just some of them are taking this opportunity for the better and some of them are just not and so mm-hmm. it's important to support black businesses i am glad though that juneteenth juneteenth got a lot of attention because a lot of uh people made it a holiday for their employees so yeah that was, that was a good big. thing that was big yeah. yeah and like one thing about the the whole movement that i particularly like is that a lot of people are getting exposed. So like there's this one story about this one white guy who was taking down, he was like ripping down Black Lives Matter posters on this fence and someone was recording him and they're like, Black Lives Matter. And then he was like, not to me, they don't. Mm-hmm. And then immediately they found out where he worked. Turns out he works in family court. And, you know, it's like to think of all the people that he's worked with before those and like we need to get out of any exactly so i think it's good that they're getting exposed and like the whole amy cooper thing in new york when the lady was recording 
this black guy who was recording her, or no, she was, he was recording her because she was screaming at him saying that he's attacking her, mm-hmm. but he was literally just like, can you put your dog on a leash? And then I think what, like a whole, something was passed, was it a law or something? The Amy Cooper, or they're trying to pass something in New York. I don't know where you can't, you can't falsify your 911 calls. Yeah. And so if you do like, you'll, you'll get uh punished for it. So I think, these small, small victories are good, but, you know, we still have a really, really long way to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. So back to Habesha parents. Oh, Lord. Which is something <laughs> I could talk about all day. I just did a uh, a blog post about them. So if you guys like to read blogs, go check it out. It's just about dealing with Habesha parents and kind of like my take on just, I don't know. It's like, it's a lot to think about because you don't know. It's it's hard because I struggle with being myself and then being like perceived as disrespectful to them. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. so big on respecting my parents and respecting their wishes. And I never, I've never gotten in any trouble before. And so sometimes I feel like I, hold back a little bit in order to respect them, which I don't think is a big deal, but as I get older, you know, life is short. So like you might as well live your life. You know what I'm saying? So I kind of struggle between this. I don't know if that's something that you guys deal with also. Yeah, I definitely get what you're saying. And also I read your blog. It was really good. Um, yeah. Yeah, so listeners go read. Um, but there our culture is so big on respect. If that's not the biggest thing, the biggest characteristic in our culture, then I don't know what is. Education. So, yeah, <laughs> education. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I definitely get what you're saying with that, and I agree a hundred percent. And finding that balance, I also think the parents have to play a part in understanding like we didn't grow up the same as they did. And there's things that we do differently now than what they were doing back then. And just finding, I guess that like that medium, I think it really goes both ways. I just want to say I am so blessed with my parents. I think (laughs) being, I think being raised in West Virginia had had that, um, a good effect on my parents for the simple fact that there is no other Habesha people here. So you can't really stay in your own little circle. Like you're still back home. You know, I think that allowed my parents to have a more open mind. They're still definitely, definitely Habesha to the core, but at the, at the end of the day, I feel like my parents are a lot more understanding and, open like I literally talk to my mom about everything she's I'm serious she's my best friend so I can talk to her about anything that's going on and I know she she doesn't judge me and she's also like she gives the best advice even though we we grew up in different times and different places a lot of the things when you really talk to your parents a lot of the things that you experience now they've experienced it might be a little bit different but it's something that they've been through you know Mm -hmm. and even with my dad I feel like a lot of me and my mom don't really have any differences but I feel like sometimes me and my dad do and there are times where me and my dad have had like really like heartfelt conversations and I feel like wow he actually can relate you know and I think a lot of Habesha kids are um scared to talk to their parents also They've kind of yeah. built fear in, into us since we've been young, you know. Exactly. Because of the strictness or whatever it may be. But I realized being open with my parents has been the the best thing that I've ever done. Like, I don't lie to my parents. If I, I might not tell them every little single detail. I feel like everybody does that with their parents. But I don't lie to them. Like, anything that I'm doing, I tell them. So I feel like that has helped me to, I mean, have a better relationship with them. And as far as like the disrespect thing, I feel like we, it goes both ways. Like, yeah, you have to, you have to respect your parents, but they Mm -hmm. have to, 
too. They have to be able, you have to feel comfortable to talk to them. You have to feel like they're, they're not just an authoritative figure. Like they're your, they're your friends, they're your family. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, I feel like the respect, whenever you can talk to them, whenever you can do things like that, it comes with that too, you know? Like I respect my parents so much because I know the struggle that they went through to get us here and everything like that. But at the same time, I, I know I can be myself and talk to them about anything. And I feel like that makes our relationship better. Yeah. I, you know, ideally, definitely that's, that would be ideal, but like, And I think every I agree with everything that you said. But now that I think about it, my parents and your parents and Hulu's parents, um, Shoei and Salam, I don't know you guys' parents too well, but I think our parents are definitely a little more lenient Mm -hmm. and open to what we do. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I'm just not curious, but like, well, yeah, I'm curious as to how somebody with more strict parents would feel. yeah. I kind of resonate with that just because, like, my parents, I kind of do what I want anyway, but um, I've kind of gotten into the habit of deciding what I want to do and then telling them because I feel like when I tell them, then they have to respect my decision, and, like, that's me acting as an adult, and I think one thing that they do respect about me is I'm going to do it, and if they're not willing to, like, accept it, I'm still going to do it, and, like, and I'm not talking about anything crazy, but, um, like, I just feel like my lifestyle choices are based on like who I am as a person and like they have started to like respect me. So like I like to solo travel. I like to like I guess like hike and like do things that like they wouldn't do because of the fact that they just weren't raised around those things and they're like why would you put like why would you do those things? But they've started to kind of like have a better understanding. Mm-hmm. Um just based on the fact that like they know I'm going to do it and like they're excited for me now like they're like okay what's your next adventure like <laughs> um what are you like actually looking forward to do and like even with like moving to a, like, a big city I think at first they're like show why wouldn't you just stay at home like you find an office in Atlanta um right they're like why do you need to move to New York and I think their respect comes more from me like just making the decision myself Um, Mm -hmm. and just deciding like I think I can do it like I think like you know I didn't go too far away for college and like being in New York will give me an opportunity to rebrand myself like whatever I need to do like and to be the best person I can be and like they respect that because like I've set that precedent for other things as well I just want to backpack off that really quick because I talk too much but I was (laughs) um, thinking one of the things that I think my parents appreciated about me and allowed them to be more open and understanding with me is I was on my shit. Like whenever I was in school, anything like that, all the time, like I'm on my shit. I feel like if you're on your team, you have approval odds, like with your parents, you know what I mean? As long as you have all A's. (laughs) Like (laughs) literally. And I was, I mean, I feel like if you are doing the right things, nine times out of 10, your parents aren't going to be on your back. Like they're still going to remind you at the, because that's their job. Right. But they're not on you heavy, you know, at least not for my parents. I feel like they 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 have that trust like, OK, she's responsible. She can do this. So we that don't need to. Yeah, be. that just reminded me of something, though. But even the ones who grew up like perfect students, perfect children, the most like behave. They there were some parents that, you know, respected that and were able to like allow them their children to have um I guess the um the ability to do the things that they wanted outside of school go hang out with friends go to the mall with friends go just etc and then there were the parents that were like no you're staying home 24-8 I'm watching you all the time you you don't get a phone you can't do this you can't do that and then I think I think somehow you even talked to this in your blog, your most recent blog post, like the ones with the most, the like very strict parents, their yeah. children, that's when they like, those children were the ones that were, I guess, to 
be more rebellious. And yeah. I feel like I've, crazy. Wit- I've witnessed that Maybe firsthand. So, Definitely. yeah. Yeah. I, that kind of shaped the way I grew up. Like, I feel like I kind of had an interesting experience. Like, I had to build my relationship with my parents. So, first of all, I have two older brothers, but they're both 10 years older than me. So, oh, you wow. can imagine a decade. Like, that's they, they were necess- they were the guinea pigs, really. So, <laughs> my parents tried that. Put the foot down. Don't let them do nothing. Like, before they even finish asking them, like, hey, uh, this person told me that they have this going on. Would it be okay if I... No, no, you're staying at home. Like, mm-hmm. it would just be point blank like that. And I had some cousins that was their age, too. So, you know, it was me watching these 16, 17-year-olds while I was six, you know, and seeing their interactions and their frustrations or whatever. And, um, yeah, it became that thing, like, you can have your, your foot down on your, the child for so long, but once they go to college and they get a, a whiff of that freedom, you know, mm-hmm. that can ch- turn them into a completely different person. Like, I have some cousins, like, once they got to college, became alcoholics, became this, became that, and the parents are sitting there questioning themselves, like, what did I do wrong? Like, I, it was because I did this, it was because I did that. So I was like, no, you didn't necessarily give the kid the freedom to um, to be an individual, you know? Like, it's mm-hmm. different here, you know what I mean? And in the same breath, I feel like one thing that kind of made growing up kind of different and really made me butt heads with my parents is both of my parents fought in the war, in the Eritrean and Ethiopian war. So, so I didn't really understand PTSD, but like my parents still have a lot of heavy shit in their hearts and like serious trauma that they never got to dealt that they never dealt with. You know, it was all of it was about survival. Like, what's the next move? Like, what can I do to get my family somewhere safe? You know. So I I used to really like I didn't really understand like why we never had open conversation or were able to really communicate. That was another riff. Like you know, it's it's all about communication, really. They, they didn't know how to communicate. And I feel like their trauma also kept them from being able to, you know, tap into their emotions and things. So, like, if me and my brothers were ever emotional, it would be like, relax, you know, like for them, exactly. it was like literally as long as I'm not getting shot at, it's fine. They never, you know, our parents never had to open up or deal with their emotions just because the culture is so different so like whenever we have to they're like yo like y'all tripping basically yes privileged kids you know and and it like humbles you but in the same sense you like I I would get mad at them like what's wrong with y'all like I'm a and especially because I'm a girl too I'm like y'all can't approach me the same way y'all raising two brothers that have each other and it was almost like I was by myself too you know so I, it was a lot of conversation, a lot of putting things into perspective for them. Like, I feel like I had no choice but to mature fast because, you know, like that little play play stuff, they didn't really have the endurance for it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like a being a kid. Definitely on that, like, good child gone wild in college, Tim. I feel like I was generally, like, a really good kid. And, like, people always saw me as, like, uh, just super good. Like, you know, good in school. Like, I played like cookie cutter um and like of course they didn't know like the other stuff I did in high school uh like extracurriculars in terms of like you know like some people like that a lot like I personally didn't do that just like having like those experiences where like I would do that stuff and then like came into college and then it was like people just felt like they like saw me more in terms of like they didn't see me partying before even if I was just because I wasn't posting it like I feel like the community talked and I just remember when I was younger, like, when people would go, especially to UGA, they'd be like, oh, those kids are, like, so bad. And, like, they just don't know what they're doing. And, like, their lives are out of control. But it's, like, all of them ended up fine. And, like, just having friends that are like, gone through this process with me, like, we all ended up fine. Like, we just had a little bit more fun in college. And I just feel like that, um, like, ties back into, like, the whole concept of, like, like, half-shell parents going based off of what other people say. Because, like, my parents didn't even want me to come to UGA. Because they were just so scared of, like, what would happen. Um, yeah. So it's yeah. just, like, it's a lot um, in terms of, like, just being able to communicate with them and, like, be open with them and, like, let them know, like, yeah, I'm having fun, but also, like, I'm getting my stuff done. I get that. Yeah, I feel like once you, once you prove yourself or, like, for me, once I let them know, like, you know how you always be like, but I'm not going to do that, but I'm not going to do that. But once I actually proved it to them, like, I came through with the grades, like, 
never really came to any trouble with them. Because I feel like my brothers were kind of troublemakers, so I tried my best to be that little perfect, innocent child to them. And I feel like once I established that and, like Shoei said, like, it, it reached a point where, like, yeah, I do come to them for advice, but it's, like, I make the decisions on my own and I let them know what's going on. It's not, like, asking them, like, hey, I'm about to do this hey, is it okay if I do this? It becomes, hey, I'm going to do this and I'm just letting you know type thing. Ask for forgiveness, not permission? Um, I don't really care for the forgiveness, honestly. <laughs> I don't care for either. I'm not going to lie to you. Like, my parents to this day will be like, you shouldn't have done this. And I'm like, but I did. Like, <laughs> but I did. Like, what are you going to do about it? And the thing is, like, they sleep be like, oh, you kind of fight. And they won't ever tell me I'm fine to my face. But to their friends, they'll be bragging about, like, everything that I'm doing. And I'm like, but you don't know. You were the one that was, you were just disagreeing with, like, my decision. Right. So it's like, they are so, they're just very interesting. My parents in particular are just very interesting. Because <laughs> I know that they're proud of me. But, like, to hear the word proud coming out of their mouth is, like, it's, it's like they stutter over the word. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> yes, my parents are crazy. Like. My dad, I remember I, um, when I finally graduated, like, me, I FaceTimed him, like, bye-bye, graduated, hi, like, I'm gonna have fun, like, and he's like, it's corona, whatever, and then he was like, and I was like, okay, so I can't wait till October when we have the real ceremony, because, like, I want Nguyla, like, I want to dance, like, I love, like, Saturday, all of that, and he was like, oh, why would we have a party for you? You could have done better in college. <laughs> what? <laughs> no, like, seriously, I think that's, I think that's a big problem because they always feel like, I feel like it's just never ending. Like, okay, you got your degree. Now what? Why don't you have a job? Mm-hmm. Why don't you go for your master's? Why don't you get your PhD? Like, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like so frustrating. Education Be- number one, I tell you. <laughs> now my dad is like, discipline is very important. <laughs> like... They're just, but I've learned to like, like just love them and just appreciate them for what they're able to provide in my life. I just know that they're not definitely really like my biggest support system in terms of like emotional, definitely financial. They're there, um, <laughs> physically, they're there. Like, you know, they'll come to stuff like my like arch induction, my probate, all that stuff. Like, they'll come, yeah. they'll show up, they'll be confused. <laughs> like, they show up for sure. Like, <laughs> Stan took pictures of my mom just standing at, on the side where all the D.I. people were. Like, with her little yellow jacket. They might have thought she was a, like, as you row or something. I don't know. <laughs> but it's just like, they're just, they just get so confused. They're like, show what you do too much. And I'm just like, okay, but I'm going to keep doing it. And like, I can tell that they're proud though at the end of the day. Um, I think, really yeah, I think one of the main problems is the expression. Mm-hmm. And communication. Mm-hmm. They don't know how. They just don't know how. <laughs> like it's, yeah. And Literally, I just accept they don't. it forever. There's just going to be like some type of disconnect between us. Yeah. You know? And it's just, just from the way they grew up. Like it's just two completely different worlds. You know? Yeah. Like, it's crazy. yeah, I agree. And I don't know if you guys saw that Habesha venting page on Instagram. Mm-mm. With, it has like, anonymous stories so like you I guess you dm them and you vent about whatever you want and a lot of the posts are like really heavy like they've got some uh really really big problems and I think a lot of the ones that I saw have to do with Habesha parents not sort of accepting them or not treating them right and so I think you know for me I'm blessed with like great like the best parents ever but like I think a lot of Habesha people do struggle especially when they might not follow the cultural norm so mm-hmm. it's, it's tough yeah right. but at the same time you know they did they came from a different country they came from literally nothing yeah and we're over here living in houses and we have cars and we have everything you know so it's like i don't like, know what are our problems compared to theirs yeah exactly but I definitely acknowledge the struggle that they went through and everything like that but I also feel it's it will always be a part of them but at the same time 
I'm like you're somewhere new now. You know what I mean? So you kind of have to adapt. That's why I don't, that's why I don't agree with like Havisha parents, like being so strict and not, not allowing their children to do things and stuff like that. Like I will never agree with that. Not just because I feel like everyone should be able to do what they want, but just because it's not good for the mental health of a, of a child, especially, I mean, we are in America now. Like there are things of our culture that we'll always have to keep, but there's things of this culture that we're going to have to adapt to also, you know? Mm-hmm. But I think that's yeah. part of it too. Definitely. But yeah, it's it's good that we can have these conversations and, you know, lean on each other and talk about anything. So I'm thankful for that. Yeah. And yeah, so... Lastly, I just wanted to note, everyone, please do your research. Look up, you know, what's happening everywhere. There's like so many different things that we can help with mm-hmm. and so many different causes that, you know, just speak up about and educate people around you. Don't be scared to hold your ground and stuff like that. And yeah, anybody else have anything else to say? Um, black lives matter. Stay home. (laughs) And I wanted to say rest in peace to everyone who's been killed as a result of racism and police brutality. And if we could have a few seconds of silence to remember those whose lives have been taken from them. Okay, yeah, and invest in black businesses, guys, and take care of yourself. Support black everything. Support black everywhere, not because. <laughs> but if you're in Atlanta, go to Tassili's Raw Reality. They have the best kill wraps. Just saying. Oh, Wait, I've been meaning to go there. <laughs> Those kill wraps look so good. Girl, they are crazy. What you doing? Crazy is black owned. <laughs> That's what I was saying. Like, what did you? What place did you say? It's to Silly's. It's off. Um, it's in the West End. Off oh, I, yes, yes, I know. Yeah, it's about. really good. You have to order in advance. It takes about an hour. Um, but you can like say you're at home. Like you just order it, and then like it'll be ready by the time you get there. And like it's outdoor. Like um, an hour. It does. It's been a minute. <laughs> so many people have been ordering. Who looks like I want my food now? <laughs> Girl, it's good. It's worth it. It's so okay. good. If, if you think you're going to be hungry in an hour, then order. Exactly. <laughs> order now. <laughs> also, make sure you guys put um put a five star rating for Slutty Vegan because apparently because the owner stood her ground about like the Black Lives Matter protests and things, mm-hmm. some people have been trying to ruin the reputation by like giving her one star reviews. Haters. Yeah, I saw that. So do them five stars, y'all. Yeah, we got to do our part. Well, thank you. And thanks for listening. Thank you, somehow. Thanks for hosting. Thank you for having me. All right, love y'all.